Luke 21, 29 through 38. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourself and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Grass withers, flower fades, and the word of our God stands forever. So if, if I were to ask you, are you ready? I come up to you on the street or after church, are you ready? Your logical next question is going to be, for what? Right? And that's a good, that's a very important question. Are you ready? Well, it depends on what you mean. Am I ready for what? It's a very important question. Our readiness depends heavily upon what's going to actually happen next. Preparedness is a, is a buzzword in our culture today, and we try very hard to get ourselves prepared for whatever comes our way. We have entire now um, uh, parts of our government that are just about emergency preparedness, and all kinds of organizations will workshop all sorts of scenarios. Our schools and businesses and all sorts of places will workshop their preparedness. Are you ready for Whatever is coming next, then we have fail-safes after fail-safes. If, if this goes wrong, then are we ready with the next thing? We, do we have the next system in place? If this system fails, do we have one ready to go when this one fails? And do we have one behind that one in case two of them fail? Do we have three fail-stops so that we can make sure everything works? How prepared are we? Disaster preparedness, big industry, you know, planning for floods and tornadoes and hurricanes, and they're always prepared. And then have you noticed lately, it doesn't seem like how prepared we are. Nature has its way of overdoing even our highest states of preparing for what it can throw at us. Flood rivers still flood and hurricanes are always one notch bigger than we thought they could have could have, uh, could have strengthened themselves too. But it's really hard, really hard to keep ourselves in a constant state of readiness, isn't it? It's very hard and stressful to keep yourself in this constant state of readiness. For example, we are now in the thick of baseball season, right? If, you've, if you're all of this, the high school sports and little kids, little leagues are all really ramping up into baseball, softball season. Don't, didn't mean to both what going on, baseball, softball seasons. And one of the most difficult aspects of baseball, softball has to be just the constant readiness that you're supposed to stay throughout the whole game. 
that you're supposed to constantly, as you are in the outfield or on base or wherever, if you're not the batter or the pitcher, it can be a lot of standing around. But you have to always be ready because you never know where it might, when it might come your way. And, and just a, the, the clearest example of that is that at my stage in life, I'm going to t-ball games which is the, uh, the height of uh, not being ready. Like it manifests itself at T-ball. I mean, it doesn't not. So they all go out and for the first few plays, the coaches get ready and the kids are, are watching and they got their gloves down and, and pretty soon the, the three kids that are at second base, that gets hit to them. And so the, the three kids, because the infield's always like totally crowded. The three kids that are at shortstop, they, they, it doesn't go to them. So it goes, the first one goes to the pitcher. The next one, goes to the people at second base. The third one just dribbles off the, the team. The catcher throws it. So pretty soon by the fourth batter, all the kids that in shortstop, you know, they're, they're playing in the dirt. They've got their gloves on their head. They're making faces at left field. And don't you know it, as soon as that happens, the ball comes their way. Everyone's screaming, you know, Johnny, look, wake up, you know. And by the time he's aware of it, the ball's already rolled past. And, and so then what do they do? Well, then they get out and they're all ready for the next hit, but it's, it's too late. <laughs> it doesn't come to them again. And, the, and just the, 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 the difficulty of trying to stay in a constant state of awareness. They're dialed in maybe for a few plays, but when it co- doesn't come to them, they lose interest. Now, that's a very cute example. You know, we can all chuckle at Little League and T-ball and kids goofing off. And unless you're one of those weird parents that really takes T-ball way too seriously, it's okay. Settle down. It's T-ball. They're not getting scholarships yet. But, uh, you know, it, it's a very cute example. Nothing major is on the line for a T-ball game. little secret. Everyone goes through the rotation. Everyone makes it home. The score is always every batter scores against the other teams, every batter, so it doesn't matter. But anyway, because if it did matter, then if we did keep score, then there'd be trouble. Anyway, but it's a, it, this is a cute example of, of readiness, but nothing major is on the line in T-ball. But, I mean, if we're honest, if, if life and death hang in the balance there's nothing cute about not being ready. If we up the stakes, we forget T-ball for a second and start talking about things of real serious consequence, failure to be ready no longer is something we sit around and chuckle about. It takes on quite a bit of weight. When I, when I ask, are you ready? And I don't mean to field the T-ball coming your way, but when I say, are you ready to meet your maker? That's a much higher question. <laughs> That's a much more important question. That comes with a lot more gravity. But since the text is taking us here, I want to ask you, are you ready? Are you ready for the return of Christ? Are you ready for the day to come when you stand face to face with the creator? Are you ready for that day? That is what Jesus is pushing on in this text, to stay awake, to be ready And so we should ask ourselves this question. Are we? Am I ready? Are you awake to the coming of Christ and ready to stand before the Son of Man? Sadly, even when things are heightened or taken to this level of seriousness, we still mysteriously 
can, can put them in the, in the rearview mirror, can forget about them. We can still fall asleep to these grand questions. This, this reality confronts you every day that you live on this earth. Every day that you wake up, you are one day closer to the day that you don't, right? And so that is a, that is a glaring reality, that, a flashing light that should come on to all of us. But we are masters at falling asleep to all the things that really matter. For instance, you do realize, and maybe some of you older generations, you don't have your smartphones, so you're better off than the rest of us. But if you're going 60 miles an hour down the road, and you take three seconds to look at your phone, you've traveled, you traveled 440 feet in, I did the math, that was in five seconds, over a football, in five seconds, you've gone over the length of a football field blindfolded. That's a bad idea, right? Is it not? If you're going 25 miles an hour through town, this is where I see people, maybe all of you, I don't know, pointing fingers, 25 miles an hour through town, and you take up your phone to look for just three seconds, you traveled 150 feet at that point. You've traveled a significant distance, 150 feet blindfolded. Think of all that could go wrong at 25 miles an hour in three seconds when you're going 150 feet. You know what might happen? The mailman might be standing there. (laughs) That's going to be bad for me and for you. I mean, it's going to be bad. But, But how quickly... Well, even when things are heightened, do you still see people? See a lot of them, and maybe I'm, and I have to fight the urge myself. How ridiculous! But we can fall asleep to these these huge, serious events. We've convinced ourselves that we're the exceptions, that everything is going to be fine, and we have fallen asleep to the seriousness of what is in front of us. And I will say that, yes, there's something even more serious for each one of you than running over the mailman, and I would hate that. But there's something far more serious for each one of us, and it is the question of, are we ready to meet the Creator? Are we ready for the return of Christ? In our text this morning, Jesus is finishing up this Olivet Discourse, right? We spent the past three weeks looking and warning his disciples of all the dangers that are on the horizon for them. This, the, the point of his future return, he's spoken that it's going to be the destruction of the temple. Jerusalem is going to fall down. And then there's going to be this great return then of Christ in power, in glory, upon the clouds. He's spoken of these things to encourage them to persevere. And to take courage that when all the world is shaken up in fear and in terror and is fainting with fright, that the believers in Christ are to stand up, to straighten themselves up, to take courage because we know how this is all going to play out and that the return of our Savior is going to be a great day for those who are His. But He ends with this important admonition, do not fall asleep to that reality. Do not fall asleep to the truth of the return of Christ. This is, we're not to be rocked to sleep, but to stay awake and to stay ready. This isn't the first time Jesus has taken up this topic. You can look, and I encourage you too to look back at, I don't have time this morning, but to look at Luke chapter 12, and there's a section, quite a lengthy section there about the return of Christ and, and the, the urgency of staying awake, staying ready, because you do not know when he's going to return. And Luke chapter 17 is another passage speaking of this urgency of the the showing up suddenly, coming and and arriving, and are you ready? 
for whenever the Savior is going to be returning. So it's a common theme, but he picks it up here at the end of his Olivet Discourse with this parable of the fig tree. We, we, we get what's going on here. We've just gone through it. He says, when you look out at the trees and the, the leaf is starting to unfurl, you know summer is on its way, right? For me, it's lilacs. If you, if you know the lilacs are starting to come out, then you know summer's, summer's on its way. Now, if it's the end of December, maybe you've had a rare, we've had a rare December or something and you're out of the golf course and it's warm out and you're in short sleeves, but there's no leaves coming on the tree. The leaves aren't fooled. <laughs> the trees aren't fooled. They know summer isn't coming, right? But that if you do see the leaves begin to come out on the fig tree or any of the other trees Jesus is saying, then you know summer is coming. His point is, when you see these signs begin to take place, that's the warning. Summer is coming. When, when you begin to see these persecutions, this war and rumors of wars that he's describing in the Olivet Discourse, he's saying that is the leaf unfurling. The coming of Christ is imminent. He is on his way. If the trees are coming out, summer is around the corner. Jesus is communicating that these signs of his coming will not, the signs of his coming will not be ones that are hard to miss. As we look around in this world and we see wars, and rumors of wars, as we see persecutions and trouble and distress, it's not hard to understand his message. Everywhere we look, we see the brokenness of this world. That is the leaf coming out on the tree. Everywhere we look, we see wars and rumors of war. That is the leaf coming out on the tree. And that's been coming out on the tree since A.D. 70. That leaf has been growing and unfurling for a long time now. And what that is saying to us, Jesus is communicating, listen, when that leaf is coming out, you know my, near, my coming is near. My coming is drawing closer and closer. So that's what he's saying here in this parable of the fig tree. Now we've got a few issues we I'll just take a few moments to look at it. If you still got your Bible out, he says this interesting thing. It's, it's confounded people for a long time in verse 32 when Jesus says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. This has been a problem text for many people. What does Jesus mean? And we can, I don't have time. We can go through seven different ways that this verse has been interpreted. The preterist is, not, I said I'm not going to do it, so I'm not going to. But we can, we can talk about that. What, what, what is the possible interpretations of this passage? But to me, it's clear that the way that we want to read this, that Jesus is saying all of these signs that are going to take place to point to his coming all of those signs, not all of the things, Christ is not going to return by the time this generation dies, but all of these signs that point to his coming are going to take place soon. And they do. The temple does get raised in AD 70. Jerusalem is sacked in AD 70. People do flee. There is tribulation and persecutions that do happen very close to this time. These things have taken place. The signs of his coming have occurred. <laughs> And so the Christian church throughout history has always lived with, it's a we phrase, of the imminent return of Christ. And by imminent, we just mean any time. 
it is, it is here. There's, the coming of Christ could be in the next five minutes. We do not know when it is. No one knows the day or the hour. But the point is, there's no more signs we have to be looking for to see when Christ will return. They've all been completed. Christ's return could be yet today. We do not know. But these signs are occurring within this generation, and they do indeed occur. And that, that interpretation of the passage flows naturally then to the next passage because it's a warning to get ready. We don't have time to go. Verse 33 is amazing. Just a side note, every Sunday when I get to read a passage, what do I say? Does anyone remember what I say? The grass withers, the flower fades, word of our God stands forever, right? That's Isaiah 40, verse 8. Jesus knows that verse. That's Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. First Peter quotes it as well. But look what Jesus said. Whose word does not fade away? The word of our God stands forever. And what does Jesus say? Heaven and earth will pass away. Jesus says, my words. He's equating himself with God. God's words will stand forever. And what does Jesus say? My words will not stand. It's fascinating that's not our point this morning. So take that one home with you to think about. It's incredible. But, but going on, because, because these words are sure, because Jesus' words are true and sure, we as his people must stay awake and be prepared for his return. There's two commands from this passage. Verse 34, watch yourself. We must watch ourselves carefully. It's what verse 34 is saying. And what Jesus means by this is that we must not allow ourselves to check out from the reality of life. So much of our culture is based upon just this main project. <laughs> so we don't have to pay attention to ourselves anymore. Sit down and watch some TV. Get out your, now it's, it's smartphones. Get out and, and just and flip through mindless social media that goes nowhere and means nothing. Our culture is obsessed and driven towards getting us to never think and watch out for ourselves, but to always be on to some other task. The busyness of life that we have all created is, is there to keep us from watching out for ourselves. And we buy into it because the last thing many of us want to do is to think seriously about such things. But Jesus' command is that we ought to watch out. Watch yourselves. Watch yourselves. And he does bring up this issue of drunkenness and dissipation. Now, I'm not a big railer on these sorts of things, but when it's in the text, and actually, if you look at those Luke 17 passages, it comes up again, this idea of how readiness and drunkenness fight against each other. And so I, the Bible, Jesus truly is against drunkenness. Now, I, I'm not a teetotaler in that I think the Bible speaks of alcohol in, in favorable ways. Speaking of wine makes a heart glad. And there's, there was, they, were, they drank alcohol in biblical times. Jesus, for goodness sake, he made water into wine at his first miracle. However, though wine and, drink, and alcoholic drink would be permissible, Jesus does not speak favorably of drunkenness, of, of, of consuming such things to an excess, because what that, what that automatically prevents you from is thinking soberly, thinking seriously about your life. When, we, when you are inebriated, when you are shut off and in, 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 into a state of drunkenness, the last thing you're doing is considering, are you ready? Are you ready for what is coming? Are you thinking of yourself? Are you watching yourself? So the Bible is not anti-alcohol. Wine is mentioned and, and is making a heart glad, but drunkenness is not permitted. It's an attempt to forget 
and it's often successful in the moment, the things in life that truly matter. But it's, so yes, at a very just flat out level, besides the, the passage we can look in Pauline epistles, which say, do not be filled with wine, which is debauchery. Don't get drunk with wine, which is debauchery. Jesus himself, that's, that's not the way to live your life. It, it takes you away from a state of readiness. However, I do not think drunkenness is the only way we try to medicate ourselves from taking things seriously, from the things that I've mentioned. The person who gets home at night and binge watches Netflix for the next seven hours and then falls asleep, which some of you don't know what Netflix is, sorry, it's a, it's, it, it watches TV nonstop and, and just kind of just medicates their life into nothingness is the same, is the same problem. It's avoiding the reality of your life, this watchfulness. So we are commanded to watch ourselves, to not forget about the reality of our, our, our mortality. And are we ready? Are we ready? So to watch yourself and to secondly, we are to stay awake at all times. This is verse 35, right? For, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth, but stay awake at all times. Staying awake. Three reasons we ought to stay awake. First, we ought to stay awake because of the nearness of his return. This imminence, this, this, this bud, the fig tree, the, the leaf unfurling, that's been the whole point all along. His return is near. No one knows the day or the hour, but it is, it is near. That's the whole point of the Christian lives in light of this Eminence, the nearness of his return. Having seen these signs and throughout the years continuing to see the signs, we should stay awake because there is the nearness of his return. It could be at any moment. Because of the nearness of Christ's return, we ought to stay awake and to stay ready. So first, we stay awake because of the nearness of his return. Secondly, we ought to stay awake because of the consequence of his return. The return of Christ comes suddenly. And look at this language. It's just in a verse 34, 34. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. That's not good language. Like you don't want to be caught in a trap. That's what traps are what you put out when you got a mouse. And it isn't to, so you can get it and cuddle it and thank it for being there, right? <laughs> you get a trap, it's, it's a bad thing to get caught in a trap. There's consequences. And that's, that's the language, that's the idea that for those who are not ready, those who have put off getting ready for the return of Christ, it will come upon them suddenly as a trap. We ought to get ready because it's near and because there are big consequences to this coming. Many think that they just will enjoy the luxuries of this life and suddenly the end will come and they will find themselves caught in sin and rebellion and too late to do anything else with their life. Hebrews says, it is appointed all for, for all men once to die and then comes the judgment. That there is a coming judgment day. We should stay awake because of the consequence of what this coming says. At that moment, those who are not ready, it will be too late. So again, I ask, are we ready? Are you ready? Stop, stop rolling out to everybody. You, are you ready? Are you ready? It is near and it has great consequences. Again, more than just running over a, a mailman. These are eternal issues of your eternal future, your eternal joy, 
or your eternal torment in hell for sins. That's the gravity of what hangs in the balance. Are you drugging yourself on a thousand worldly pleasures? Are you whistling on the way through the graveyard? That's an old idiom. Maybe some of you know whistling. You get the idea, though, of whistling past the graveyard as though everything's fine, everything will be fine. And so we whistle along, ignoring and falling asleep to the consequences of what's coming. So we, we stay awake because of the nearness, because of the consequence. But lastly, I want you to stay awake because of the happiness of his return. For all who are his, what's the easiest way to stay awake for something? Like you ever had those moments in your life where you, where you, you cannot sleep? We've had those moments, I, I suppose, when you're racked with grief. But as you think back on your childhood and you're unable to fall asleep, it's moments of excitement. Like I remember uh, putting up the army cot in my brother's bedroom because it was Christmas Eve and I couldn't wait and, and staying up as late as we could and then getting up before the sun to go see presents because I was so excited for what was coming. I couldn't wait for the gifts that were out there. And, and so when you, when you have a clear view, when you know the happiness of what is coming, the command to stay awake is like, well, of course I want to stay awake to this. That's where I want the church to be. That's where I want to live. That's where I want us to live. In this reality of not fighting to stay awake and trying to convince ourselves it's near, it has great consequences. But lastly, what a glorious day this is going to be when Christ returns. Staying awake like a I put the, like a husband waiting for his wife to get home from the grocery store. Like you, if, you ever, if you ever drive by my house and I'm standing at the window watching, it's because Darla has run to get some snacks. And I can't wait for because there's this happiness for, for someone to come home. That there's this happiness, this joy. That that's where I want us to live. That can you imagine the day coming when Christ returns to fully consummate what he's accomplished at the cross? To redeem his people how can we forget the only way to sleep when that's coming is to forget the joy of what's on its way. The only way to fall asleep is to forget the joy of what's on its way. So Christian, stay awake by remembering the joy that is coming for all those who are Christ at his return. It is near. It has great consequences. But if you are Christ, if you are God's through faith in Christ, if you have repented of your sins... If you're turning, confessing your sin, turning from it, hating it, not desiring it, but desiring to please God, if you're turning from that sin, trusting in Christ and his death on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins, that coming day is a day that your eternal joy comes to fruition. Are you ready? Are you ready? Watch ourselves. Let's watch ourselves. Watch yourself. Do not give in to the worldly numbing mechanism to forget the seriousness of our lives. Stay awake. Do not be rocked to sleep. Are we resting in who Christ is and all that he has done for us? The communion service that we do every week here, it's fun. We do it every week. So it's a chance for you to fall asleep because we do it so much. But I want you, it's a chance for you to come awake. To be awakened to the reality. You come as a sinner deserving of God's judgment. And yet what do we receive? His mercy and his grace. Through the broken body and shed blood of our Savior Jesus Christ. The communion service is a call to come awake. As you confess your sins. Look to Christ. Trust in him. Knowing that his nearness. 
The nearness of his coming that has great consequences is one of eternal joy for all those who are his. And may that be an eternal joy and happiness that has each one of us. Let's pray. Father, I ask you'd give us eyes to see and to remember the joy that will be those who are yours at your coming. Help us, God, to stay awake. Help us to not turn to a thousand worldly pleasures that would numb us to the reality of the seriousness of this life, but that, God, we would watch ourselves and we would stay awake knowing that your coming is near, knowing that your coming has great consequence and knowing that your coming brings great happiness for each one of us that are yours. Father, rather, rather we make it until the coming of your Son we know that the reality is that day is coming for each one of us. Rather, it is from you coming here or from us leaving here and going into the eternal state. Father, I pray that the seriousness of that would strike us as it should and that we would contemplate, are we ready? And that as we come to communion this morning, we'd be confessing ourselves as sinners in need of your grace and mercy and finding it at the cross of your Son, the Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen.